Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. Today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. This is edition number 40 of season 8. We continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we come to paragraph 4 of chapter 7 as we continue looking at God's covenant with man. Let's pray first, and we'll look at this paragraph together. Father, as we come now to these very important truths in the ways in which you have covenanted with us and how you have condescended to our lowly estate, we pray that you would help us now, that you would strengthen us by your grace. Your Spirit would teach us, and that you would guide us and direct us in all things that are said and heard, that these things might not merely fill our minds, but also um, capture our whole heart, soul, in strength as we seek to serve you. And so be gracious to us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we come now to paragraph 4. We've begun looking at matters related to the covenant of grace. We've seen the covenant of works, that first covenant that God made with Adam and Eve in the garden, forbidding them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have forfeit, they forfeited um, their right to the tree of life and were banished from the comfortable presence of the Lord. But God in his kindness and grace made a second covenant known as the covenant of grace in which life was held out to all those who would by faith believe in the one to whom the covenant was made, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We come now to a fuller, a more full expression of this as given to us in paragraph number four, which reads, this covenant of grace is frequently set forth in scripture by the name of a testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testator, and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it therein bequeathed. Now there is one important passage of Scripture that we should consider, and that is from Hebrews chapter 9, and verses 15 through 17, that I'm going to read a little bit from Dr. Chad Van Dixhorn's book, as he explains very uh, well uh, this matter related to this issue of the name of a testament. So Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 15 through 17, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And so this is the reference that the Westminster Assembly chose uh, to use as their proof text for this question. And so Dr. Van Dixorn in his book, Confessing the Faith, he, um, he, he set, says here, um, when it's referencing this matter of a testament, it says, up to this point, the confession has referred to a covenant, but it is worth observing as a footnote that one can also speak of a testament. And that is true right up until this point, until paragraph four, we see the reference to the word covenant given over and over. Covenant is the usual term in scripture uses, is the usual term scripture uses, but the covenant of grace is frequently set forth in the scripture by the name of a testament. Or at least it is so in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that is known as the Septuagint. It is probably for that reason that the word testament is used sometimes in the King James Version of the Bible. Let me give you some examples of that. The Hebrews text that I just read in the King James 
will make reference to that term. Also in Hebrews 7.22, Luke 22.20, and 1 Corinthians 11.25. Now, it's important to note Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11 are references uh, to the Lord's Supper. And it's there that, of course, we note that in the Lord's Supper, um, it signifies the death of Christ and that which then guarantees the inheritance that comes to all those who would believe in him. The term, he goes on to say, the term testament invokes biblical themes and biblical language. It reminds us that great gifts have been bequeathed to us. Now, when you think about it in the terms of receiving an inheritance, you don't typically receive an inheritance until somebody in the family dies. Now, I've heard differing opinions as to how that relates as far as that's, whether that's a safe analogy or not as it pertains to the very use of these, this word that's given to us in the New Testament as well as in the Old or the Septuagint translation. But be that as it may, it reminds us that great gifts have been bequeathed to us. It evokes the idea of a testator in Jesus Christ and of an everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it. On one level, in making this point, the members of the Westminster Assembly are avoiding contention over words, for we all know that arguments about words have been more than a cottage industry in the Christian church. Isn't that the truth? The gospel can be described in the dialect of covenantal language or in the language of a last will and testament. Nonetheless, the fourth paragraph is also reminding us that while there are dominant ways in which God's word teaches Christian truth, we are wise to use the full range of biblical expressions. And in the middle verses of Hebrews 9, at least, do appear to connect the reality of the covenant with the concept of a will or testament. In a few words, these verses teach us that the law of Moses was filled with blood and sacrifices in order to teach God's people something, that someone had to die before the great promise could take effect. And that's certainly what happened, of course, under the Old Testament economy, um, an animal was, was, was slain, uh, the blood of the animal was poured out on the altar, was, uh, was shed for the worshiper, and that then, as a result, brought atonement to God's people and forgiveness of sin. And it is a powerful picture for us, as that, that picture of the Old Testament now is fulfilled in complete totality by Jesus Christ, as the confession says, Jesus Christ, the testator. And it is a powerful picture. Van Dixhorn goes on to say, the language of covenants has helped very many Christians understand the gospel. But for others, the reality of God's gift may only come home with the language of wills and of testaments. For we all know who must die before a last will and testament can come into effect. It is the one who made it. And so it is that the Son of God bled out his life for us so that we would receive an everlasting inheritance. And so... Here, in very simple language, the confession borrows from other language in the Bible, still referencing the same covenant of grace, but showing us that it is in Jesus Christ, ultimately, that all of those other sacrifices, all of those other acts of the Old Testament, those pictures, were pointing us forward to this time in which the covenant of grace was ratified completely and in totality by Jesus Christ. And then it's therefore in him that we receive all the inheritances that are ours as we are united to him by faith. And so it's a very encouraging 
aspect, uh, as we look at the covenant of grace, it, it reminds us of the eternal inheritance that is ours in him, something that will never pass away, something that we have secured very much by the death of this one of which everything in the scriptures was pointing, was ultimately pointing toward. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Friday edition, when we look at paragraph uh, number five, may the Lord help you today. May he bless you as you seek to serve him. God bless.